Lord our God, indeed yours, our sins are many, many, many. But your mercy is so much more. Thank you for paying that great price to free us from those sins. Lord, as we look at your word now, speak to us with power. Speak to us because you are speaking to human souls directly. Speak to us, Lord, so that we can learn from your word, take the lessons from that word, and then go from here with grateful hearts and in obedience serve you. Teach us, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we're in Hebrews chapter 9. Last week we started the first part of the sermon. Now we're completing the second part. And there's a third part next time. Uh, when we get around Hebrews 9, because it kind of all flows together. Last week we looked at the Old Testament worship system, and as John has already alluded to this morning, it was the tabernacle and the whole sacrificial system that went with that. And this week we're going to look at so much more. And we're getting to the crux of it all. It's all about, and the answer is, Jesus Christ. So there's our theme for today. It's all about Jesus Christ. So this week, as opposed to last week, is like going to a health food shop and looking at all those things in the packages and uh, not really wanting anything there. And then going next door to the chocolate shop and picking out the best bits. And don't shake your heads, doctors. That's the difference between the two, the old and the new. And that's a sense of excitement and anticipation we should also get. The old is no longer, the new is here. And we need to have that excitement in us. And today, you've got a few key words. So I hope you've got your uh, reading glasses on, hearing aids turned up, because there's a lot of lessons to be learned here today. It's not going to be a sermon light. Okay? It's going to be, there's a bit of crunch here. There's a bit of steak today. All right. So today our key words are the following. Christ. Jesus Christ at center. Death. A perfect price had to be paid for sin. Blood. Purification needed to happen. And then a will or a covenant or a promise of inheritance. We're going to look at these things. And so we're going to be moving from the lesser to the greater, from that that is past to that which is now, as we look at what Christ has done for us. And so our theme this morning is blood. And the only way you can enter into the new tabernacle, as opposed to the old tabernacle, is through blood. You can only enter by blood. Blood, And I'm going to have a close reading of the text this morning. In other words, I'm going to be taking it verse by verse and unpacking it a little bit for the first part of the text. And then we'll go faster through the last bit. But let's get to the text itself. Hebrews chapter 9, and I'm reading from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. So, Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. 
He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Note the Trinity involved there. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will or a testament, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. Then the will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. Why? Here's the reason. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, note, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Now immediately when you read that text, you think, man, you could spend a sermon just on every verse, but we're not doing that. We can't do that. We've got to go through and see the big picture here. Um, and it balances out what we did last week. And so in another lifetime, yes, we'll come back to these verses one by one. But I'll be dead and gone and someone else can do it. 
Right, let's look at this. You need to enter by blood. You see, Christ has now, says this text of ours from verses 9, from verses 11 onwards, Christ has now become the high priest. Remember the high priestly appointment was done by God himself. God appointed the high priest in the Old Testament. God appoints Christ as the high priest in the new covenant. And so he supersedes the old covenant Levitical system with everything that went with it. Under the Levitical worship, the high priest had to enter the tabernacle. And this tabernacle was made of created things. God had given them the plan. If you go and read through um, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, God had given them the plan of how he wanted things made. But everything was made from, human, from material that had been created. The woven cloth that John was speaking about this morning, everything was created by God. And so it was tainted by sin. So everything that was created had been tainted by sin and so was temporary and was tainted by death. But they'd made this tabernacle and men had put it together under God's instructions. And as the high priest entered this tabernacle made by men, he entered it in fear. We know that because they tied a rope to his foot in case he didn't come out. They had to pull him out. He entered it in fear, and he entered it in frailty. We looked at that last week. He had to sacrifice blood before he went in. Why? For his own sins, because he's a human. But Christ is different. Christ, through the shedding of his own blood, says our text, verse 11, enters the heavenly tabernacle. What's the heavenly tabernacle? It's the very presence of God. Christ enters the very presence of God, and God created this heavenly tabernacle. And so in opposition to the old tabernacle, which was temporary and tainted by death, this new heavenly tabernacle is permanent and powerful. It's permanent and powerful because God has created it. It's not made by created things. Do you see the difference? And there Christ is in the presence of God and he ministers. He's there before God on our behalf in heaven, in the very throne room of God at God's right hand. You see, the former high priests in the Old Testament had to go alone into the Holy of Holies. No one else could go with them. And they had to go there on behalf of the people. They had to go there for the people. But no one could go with them into God's presence. What does Christ do? Christ goes into God's presence and he takes us people with him. We all go into the presence of God. Do you see the difference? Old and new. And so, as believers, the position for us is that he has already taken us with him into the heavenly tabernacle. Now you say to me, Calvin, just <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm not anywhere in heaven yet. That's true. We are here physically. But in our positions before God, Christ has already taken us into the heavenly tabernacle with him. So if we lose our bodies, our bodies join our spirits, and together we are in the heavenly tabernacles. Christ has already done it for us. Do you see the victory in that? One does. Fantastic. Good on you, whoever that was. 
There's victory in that. Christ has already taken us with him into the heavenly tabernacles. In our position before God, we've been made right with God. We can come into his presence because of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 to 6 says this. Listen to this. But God is so rich in mercy that he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And therefore the Apostle Paul can say in Philippians 3.20, because of that truth, our citizenship is in heaven. And we need to be reminded of that, people. In this era where we're going through these last few years with COVID and everything else that's happening to us, the economy in recession, wars breaking out all over the place, we need to be reminded of that. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. We need to pick our eyes up again and see our perspective and stop looking around us in this world and being dragged down by everything. Our citizenship is not here. The passport you bear bears the passport of the Lamb. You're just a passing through, as the old song said. This place is not my home. Verse 12 says this. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered, that's Jesus, the most holy place, once and for all time, and secured our redemption forever. Take notes. He entered not through animal blood, but through his own blood. You see, the sacrificer became the sacrifice. The Old Testament high priest had to have an animal sacrificed. He had to take the blood of that animal and paint the horns on that altar before he went into the Holy of Holies to account for his own sin. It was something else's blood. But Christ, who goes into the heavenlies, takes his own blood and puts it on that altar. And he comes into God's presence. Do you see the difference? And that's why it's a never-to-be-repeated sacrifice once for all. Never to be repeated again. How can he keep sacrificing himself? The first time was a perfect death. The first time was perfect blood shed on the cross for us. Christ paid the price and God was satisfied. It won't happen again. It's not for temporary redemption. It's for eternal redemption that Christ shed his blood. He cleansed past, present and future sins all in one act of redemption. Our text says he secured our salvation. He secured it. It can't be taken away again. Christ paid the price once for all. Any hallelujahs yet? Let's get going. Come on. Verse 13, what does it say? Under the old system, the blood of the goats and bulls and ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. You see, the way the old covenant was set up is animals were sacrificed, they were, sacri they were burnt on the altars, and then that ash was taken, and it was ground fine, and there was a pool of water. And it was thrown into the pool of water. And when you wanted to be made ceremonially clean so that you could come and worship God, you had to first go past this pool. You had to get some of that ceremonial 
water, you had to have someone put it on you, and then you became bodily clean. Your body was clean, and now you could go and worship before the Lord. But it was an outward cleansing. It wasn't inward yet. But Christ's sacrifice is different. The new sacrifice actually cleanses. And it doesn't cleanse the outer. The new sacrifice that Christ sacrificed for us cleanses the inner. It cleanses the very soul where the sin is committed. The blood goes to the source of the sin and it takes it away. You see what Christ has done? You see, Christ cleanses our consciences, says the text, verse 13, from dead works. He cleanses us from all that stuff that we do so that we'll feel better before God about who we are. It takes away all the stuff we do so that we try and be right before God through our own efforts. It takes all that stuff we do, those things that we have on those tick boxes so that God will think I'm a better person. It cleanses us from that. It takes away the guilt in our consciences. His blood wipes my conscience clean because he cleans my soul. Praise the Lord for that. You see, if you don't understand that, you go through life and all those old things you've committed and you'll know some of those things you haven't confessed yet before the Lord and those things come up in your conscience all the time and they keep you back from worshiping the Lord. Christ's blood cleanses your conscience because he's gone to the very source of the sin. He's taken our sin away. Hebrews 10.22 says this, I can therefore draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When you come before Christ, you are totally cleansed before Him, body and soul. Amen? You're a hard work. So what's the purpose of purified consciences verse 14 tells us why do we need our our consciences purified someone want to tell me thank you so that we can serve and worship the living god you see you can't just come before god anyway you've got to come before him his way we saw that last week in the old testament and the same is there in the new testament you can't just pull in and worship the big g You come before the Lord Jesus Christ and your conscience and your heart have to be cleansed. And then as a holy person, can you worship an, a holy and almighty God? If you come before him without that, his judgment is there. He's a holy God. He's not just a small God. He's almighty God. So we come before him with consciences clean so that we can worship the living God. Now, I love verse 14. Go with me through verse 14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God, that's the Father, as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. Who's involved in our salvation? Christ, says the text. Who else? The spirit is involved. Before the Father, God. The Trinity is involved in your salvation and mine. Now tell me, my friend, 
Where would you get involved in your own salvation if the Trinity is already working there? Would you as a mere mortal human being who's been created, would you dare step in the middle of all that while the Trinity is at work on your salvation? Who are you? You see, I've got an issue. People say, well, I was involved in my own salvation. Yes, you were. But only by grace of God were you involved in your own salvation. It was a gift given to you. God did the work in you already. And then you gave your heart to him. Because if he hadn't done that pre-work in you, you would be dead in your sin. You wouldn't even recognize his goodness. Because your, your conscience seared by sin. It can't see the good that he's done. It's all of God. None of us. And there comes a point in our lives where we fall on our knees and we say, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'll give my heart to you because you've already been working in me. It's all of God, none of me. Salvation is of Christ alone. It's by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God the Father as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. The only contribution you and I have made to that process is sin. We're very good at that. We're experts. But God overpowers that and takes it away. The story is told of, a, of an old evangelist. He had a tent ministry up. And as they used to go those days, they still do a few now, I see and uh, the whole thing was over, the show was over, and um, he was busy pulling up the tent pegs to collapse his tent. And a young man ran up to him and he said, Sir, sir, what must I do to be saved? And the old man said, No, it's all done. So the young guy said, I'm sorry, I couldn't make it early. I was wanting to come, but what must I do to be saved? And he said, I'm sorry, it's all done. Do you mean just because I've come late, I can't accept Jesus anymore now? He said, it's all done, my friend. Christ has done it all for you. Now bow the knee and acknowledge him as Christ and Lord, and you will be saved. It's all done. Do you get the point? It's all done. There's a question here. So how are Old Testament believers saved then? In the... And the answer is in exactly the same way New Testament believers, you and I, are saved. How? By the finished work of Christ. Well, Christ wasn't born yet. Yes, I know. But you see, Christ's atoning work was retroactive. There's a big word for us. Retroactive. It worked backwards. When the high priest sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, there in the presence of Almighty God, the sins and the unintentional sins of all the people were covered for when? For the previous year. They hadn't sinned yet. Everything in the past was covered in that act of the high priest before God. And that's why the people had to keep coming back year after year, day after day, because they kept sinning and their sin needed to be paid for. But when Christ died, the sins of all those people in the past was actually paid for. Not just their sins, our sins, past, present, and future. You see, we have salvation on credit. Now, hear what I'm saying. We have salvation on credit. Not our credit. His credit. Did you know Jesus, and I'll say this respectfully. 
There's a special credit card out for believers. Did you know that? Special credit card. A normal credit card works this way. You, you uh, put your card in the bank or you put it online or whatever you do. And you get your money now and then you pay it back. That's how it works, right? Some of you know that process very well. But this reverse credit card which the Lord gives us, it has all the money already paid back before we've even spent it. Is that a bargain? Christ has already paid for our sins before we've committed them. It's all of Christ. It's none of us. We just do the sinning. Praise the Lord for that truth in Hebrews. Now we get to the second section, and this is where I'll speed up a little bit. So if you were thinking, hmm, roast in the oven. Verse 15, look at this text. That is why he, that's Christ, is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. And then the writer to the Hebrews uses this example of a will. Now, let's go to that. You see, what he's saying here is, he's saying, because Christ was the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, he's the one who mediates a new covenant. It could only take one who was perfect to create this new covenant. Any, anyone else was imperfect. God had to make the new covenant. God had to make the new will. God had to make the new testament. That's all that the word covenant means. It means will and testament. It's like we have a last will and testament. When someone dies, we've got a lawyer present here. She can tell us all about it. A last will and testament. When does that come into effect? Usually, a last will and testament only comes into effect once the poor person has popped their clogs and they're no longer here. Only then is their testament put into action, right? Usually. Kids will try and get there ahead of time today, unfortunately. But that's how the testament works. Someone's got to die first. Then it comes into action. Now, using that example, what did Christ do? He made a will or a covenant with his people. Someone had to die because it needed to be ratified by blood. And when that person died, and we know now that was Jesus Christ, then those promises of the will came into action. We are under the new will and testament. We are under the new promises of Jesus Christ. We are new covenant believers. Do you get the difference? And so God made the will before his people. And that's that whole middle section that we looked at, that we read earlier. That's what that's all about, in more words. The question is, we've got to ask ourselves, why did Christ have to die? We already partly had the answer. He had to die, why? Because he had to satisfy the just standards of a holy God, firstly. Secondly, he had to die because his blood had to purify us from sin, verses 18 to 22. And it gives that example of purification. You see, after Moses had read the will of God, the, the, the commandments that God gave to his people, what did he do after that? The text says, he took blood and he sprinkled everything in sight. Everything had to be made pure before God because everything was sinful. Everything around him. 
So he took some hyssop, dipped it in blood and with, uh, white, uh, with scarlet wool that he had dipped in the blood. Everything was covered in blood because it had to be made holy before God. And that was to actify, to, sorry, that was to make active the promises God had made his people. It had to be ratified in blood. You see, only for the, uh, John quoted this verse earlier, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God promises forgiveness when blood has activated that forgiveness because of his will. His promises to us. That's what this text is explaining to us. And so the question you and I need to ask ourselves is, are you washed by that living blood of the Lamb? Or are you still on your own? Verse 24 and 26, 226 says this, As blood allows us to enter in as blood purifies us, blood is also the thing which brings about our salvation. The word salvation is, all it means is God's plan put into effect that was already there from before the creation of the world, right through history so far into eternity. His plan for his people. That's the word salvation. And salvation is by blood. You see, Christ, our real substitute, in real time, goes into the real presence of God for us. Our verses say, verse 24, He entered into heaven itself to appear when, says the text. Not on my face. To appear when, says the text. To appear now before God on our behalf. Christ is there in the presence of God now. At this very time, while we're sitting in this hall, and He is there interceding on our behalf. He is there before the Father. And verse 25 to 26 says, He made this once for all sacrifice. When did He do this? At the end of the ages. Now the literal translation of that phrase is not what's coming. The literally at the end of the ages means at the coming together of the ages. When did the ages come together? The Old Testament history came together with New Testament history where? At the cross of Jesus Christ. That was at the coming together of the ages of God's plan of salvation. Christ is at the center of God's plan of salvation. That's what that text means. It's been misinterpreted to mean the future. It's not that. There's a text. When Christ died on the cross at Calvary, he ushered in the last days, the final age which we're in now before he returns. He started that final age. And when he died, it was this never-to-be-repeated death. Why a never-to-be-repeated death? Because God hadn't suddenly changed and become a God who's unjust, who doesn't require sin to be paid for. You see, if Christ hadn't died, if we were still under the Old Testament dispensation, and Christ was pulled in under that dispensation, then he'd have to die over and over and over and over because we keep sinning. We're good at it. But he died once for all and put us under a whole new set of circumstances and a whole new will and testament so that that sin is now paid for. God's justice has been appeased in Christ. What do we do with all this? Well, we're not finished. If you've noticed the text, we've still got two verses to go. 
But I love these two verses. You see, these two verses are many times used at outreach services. And the problem with it, it's good, it's good. Billy Graham, really, who am I to say? Anything. These verses are often used out of context because you haven't explained the previous bits. If you've explained the previous bits, then go for it. Use those verses. Because they're the so what of this whole passage. Here they are. And I'm going to read them. They're so important. Because this affects every single person sitting here. It affects every single person who's online and watching from anywhere. It says this. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. You see, all of us are going to die at once, unless Christ comes before. We're all destined to die, believer and unbeliever. The outcome of that death is very different though, for believers and unbelievers. And I'm going to explain that as we go through it now. And here it is. You can only enter the heavenly tabernacle through the blood. Not your blood, His blood. When at the moment of your death, you are still an unbeliever, then you are entering God's presence with your blood. Not Christ's. And if you enter God's presence with blood which is not Christ's blood, it is unholy. And you will be judged. God can't go against who he is. He's a holy God. You must be judged. And you will end in the place where that judgment will happen. And that is hell. And it is a reality. We are here in 2022 when many people say it's not a reality. It's a reality. If you enter eternity with your own blood, not covered by Christ's blood, you will pay the price. Because Christ hasn't yet paid for you. And you will face God for eternity. But you need to enter through His blood. Christ's blood. I love the next bit. And so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Not to deal with our sins, take note, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for Him. I love this verse. There's hope here. You see, our text says, He will come again. And note this text. Is, this text now is not for unbelievers. This text is for believers. It says, He will come again, not to deal with sin. He's already dealt with sin. It's a once for all dealing with sin. It's done. But when he returns, it's going to be a victorious coming again. He's not going to judge us as believers. We are seeing him then as our Savior. Our salvation has come at last, and we go into the heavenlies with him. He's made the way for us. He's not going to pull us up before him again and say, oh, just hang on. There's still this matter and this matter, and point A, B, and clause C. We need to deal with that first, my friend, and then you're going to go. No. It's paid for. In advance, you're under the credit card system. Of Christ. You enter his presence when he comes again. And you are made like him. Like Christ. Immediately. What does the old verse say? We always use it at funerals. In the twinkling of an eye. You are made perfect. I look forward to that day Lord Jesus. Because I need perfection in my life. But the question is. You and I as believers. 
I didn't hear one amen, you see, so I've got to carry on now. The question is, believers, are you looking forward to that salvation? Well, that made a difference. You see, the text says we are to eagerly await him. You see, in the Old Testament, you don't understand. Okay. In the Old Testament, when the high priest went in there, they put a rope around his leg. Not so much for him. It was for them. Because if he didn't come out of there, that meant their sins hadn't been paid for. And that meant they were guilty before God and they were under God's judgment. So they couldn't wait for that high priest to reappear. And they put a rope around just in case it wasn't fast enough. And the moment he reappeared, yes, we're forgiven. Now, do we have that same attitude? Do we wait for the Lord of the heavens to reappear, eagerly anticipating his, his coming again? Because it's all been paid for. When he comes, it's over. And it starts eternity. The big adventure lies ahead. I love adventure. And so the last question I want to ask you this morning is this. Are you a direct beneficiary of God's new will and testament? I'll tell you a story to finish with. Two tramps were sitting in New York on the pavement, May the 23rd, 1937. And all around them, the newspapers, they had those big outlines and the little news guys selling their newspapers were shouting out, Rockefeller's died, Rockefeller's dead, richest man in the world dead. Because Rockefeller had died, the oil tycoon. And as the two tramps sat there on the pavement, the one burst out sobbing. And his friend said to him, what's wrong with you? Who are you doing? Well, you're related to this Rockefeller guy. And the other tramp said, no, but I wish I was. Direct beneficiaries. Are you washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? His promises then affect you. You will benefit from every promise he has made. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord our God, our heart cry to you this morning is, save us from ourselves. Save us from trying to do stuff to make ourselves look better before you. Rather, Lord, let us put ourselves under the blood of Jesus Christ, which really makes us better, which really makes us good before you, which makes us pure before a holy God. Save us from those thoughts where we think we can save ourselves, even in just the smallest way. May we rely utterly on Jesus Christ. And Lord, where the tempter comes and he puts before us things we've done in the past and brings them up and says, there you go, you're still guilty. You're just a sinful human being. Lord, 
May he be pushed into the background as we cry out, Jesus Christ, you've saved me. You've cleansed me. I'm pure before you. Now use me for your kingdom, I pray. Thank you that we are beneficiaries of God's goodness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us now to live lives which show that we are covered in the Lamb's blood of life, that we don't belong to this world, that gives us a mindset which always has an eternal perspective, looking to Christ and not looking to what the world is doing around us and being pulled down by this world and everything that goes with it. We are covered under the Lamb's blood. Citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Amen.